The Laughter Permitted Podcast is brought to you by Ally. Do it right. Hello to our dope village. I'm Julie Foudy alongside Lynn Olzawi. Hi, Lynn. Hi there, Julie. So we wanted to start this episode by saying how we have been having a lot of conversations together about what's happening in our country right now with protests against racial injustice and police brutality and really how we wanted to talk about it on our podcast. Yeah, and I have been doing a lot of reflecting, as I'm guessing many of our listeners have, on the various ways I see the world through my white lens. And full disclosure, I am horrified by what I have been discovering because I realized I never spoke about race with my teammates. And I'm embarrassed that after all these years of friendship, I have not acknowledged the very thing they live every day, that their life and their way of navigating this world is layered with injustice based solely on the color of their skin. And so I asked two former USA teammates, Daniel Slayton and Saskia Weber, to have a long overdue conversation about racism in this country and their experiences. Danielle Slayton and I played together on the U.S. team for five years. She won a national championship while playing as an All-American at Santa Clara and now is an analyst and sideline reporter and an awesome one at all of that for MLS and national team games. She also sits on the U.S. Soccer Foundation Board and is the director of the Coaching for Life Academy at Santa Clara University. Saskia Weber and I played on the U.S. team for seven years, and she was part of our U.S. team that won the 1999 World Cup. She played collegially at Rutgers University, professionally in the first women's pro soccer league, the WSA, and is now the goalkeeper coach at UCLA. Our goal is to continue to learn and to understand and equally important, acknowledge the discrimination that still exists in this country and hopes that in some small way we can be part of the change. So get comfortable. Listen in. It's Daniel Slayton and Saskia Weber. Laughter Permitted is brought to you by Ally. A lot of our listeners know that Lynn and I are customers of Ally, and Ally will tell you that the first step of taking control of your finances is making a baseline budget. They actually have online tools and products to help you do that. So Jules, how do people get started? Thank you for asking, Lynn. You can begin by looking through your statements from the last three months and you identify your basic needs, meaning these can be necessities like gas, rent, groceries, car payments, and then you compare those costs to your overall spending and see if you might be able to save some cash. I love that. Where can we learn more about planning for our futures? It's easy. Go to ally.com. Ally, do it right. Ally Bank, member FDIC. Cliff Bar and Company has been fueling athletes for almost 30 years with their Cliff and Luna Bars, and this is super cool. Even during a time when there are no live sports, Cliff and Luna continue to support female athletes. In fact, right now they're featuring awesome women on their new limited edition Cliff Bar packaging, including soccer star Megan Rapino, tennis legend Venus Williams, surfer Lakey Peterson, skateboarder Jordan Barrett, climber Ashima Shireshi, and mountain biker Katarina Nash. Check out these awesome new packages for yourself in store or online at cliffbar.com. Kick back, relax, and unwind. Let's have a good time finding 
the song that that Danielle Slayton actually taught us? Come on, D. Tell them the song that you taught us. That is now legendary. I know. Ooh, I feel so good like I knew I would. Ooh, I feel so good. I feel so good. Like I Go around with all the kids. Yeah, it's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. What is it like for the three of you to see each other? Oh, it's amazing. It's emotional and amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you two for sitting down with us today. I think this is a conversation actually that's 20 years overdue. Um, And one of the things I've realized in this moment of intense reflection, which I've talked to both of you about is that the realization I've never had this conversation with any of my teammates on racism in this country. And I've been thinking about that a lot, honestly, in terms of we had lots of conversations about women's rights, equal rights in regards to gender, but I am embarrassed and saddened that we've never had a conversation about race. And as a co-captain and a teammate for many years, um, I've come to realize that it's a conversation we need to have, of course, right? And I don't know if we'll we'll do it right, um, but I'm committed to having the conversation. So thank you for sitting down because I think unless we acknowledge our history and acknowledge that we need to learn more, uh, we're not going to get better as a country. Absolutely. So I am here today with two of my awesome teammates, Saskia Weber, who Saskia, we played in the 95 and 99 World Cups together and 96 mm-hmm. Olympics. And Danielle Slayton, we played in the 2000 Olympics and 2003 World Cup together. And when I think back over all these years, as I was just saying, of never having that conversation, I have my thoughts on why but I'm interested in yours. Why do you think we never talked about it? It's a, it's a hard question to answer. I think, um, well, thanks for having, having me, Danielle. It's great to have you here as well and stuff like that. Um, and Julie, the first time we ever played against each other when we were 17 years old, and I beat you at national semifinals. Uh, <laughs> that okay. So let's that. just get that clear. <laughs> let's start with that. Let's start with that because I'll never let you. I'll never let you live it. Down. Oh my god, that was soul crushing. <laughs> I remember it. Um, I it's it's a weird thing because I think it's hard for any of us to understand when you come. Come on, I, I explained to you, I think we had a talk the other day, like I never felt that coming into the national team for me was, um, I didn't have to deal with any of that. Um, soccer had always been a bit of like my comfort zone and my solace. Um, and whether it being because I grew up in Princeton, New Jersey, I'm not sure. Um, but coming into the national team, all anybody cared about was that I could play. But it's weird because I've had talks with Carla and stuff like that about being gay. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I've, I've had sit-down conversations about how do I deal with with players and teammates, about how do I deal with, you know, this and that and the other, and you, um, you being gay and meeting your girlfriend. And, and I've had those open conversations, but never about um, being interracial, never about being black. Mm-hmm. I... 
I mean, I'm, I came a little bit after you, Saskia, and, you know, I'd like to say I'm the youngest one here, even though <laughs> my 40th birthday is tomorrow. Um, oh, yes. First of all, first of all, happy birthday, Gemini. <laughs> yeah. And my 50th is on the 13th. <laughs> happy birthday. Um, but I do, I do think about that question, Julie, and I guess my, my first reaction is not that the national team environment was any different. Like we don't talk about this in America period. Um, And maybe it was a conversation in the sixties and the seventies when we're going through the civil rights movement and the black power movement a little bit more, but obviously that's, you know, before any of us were around and having conversations about this. So um, I, I, I don't talk, I haven't probably up until the last, you know, few weeks, aside from maybe with my family or quite frankly, my black friends, I haven't talked about it. Um, So I don't think that the national team environment was any different than anything I've experienced anywhere else. Mm -hmm. I actually, I totally agree with that 100% other than talking about it and growing up with it with my parents and going through the experiences I went through privately with my family. It was never a conversation. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. It's interesting you said too, Saskia, that, you know, on the national team, people just cared whether you could play, right? Yeah. Um, But when I look at the landscape of soccer in this country, I mean, it's a very, as we know, very white sport. Yeah. How was your experience in regards to playing in a very white sport? Was it, I'm sure, very different than mine? Or did you not think about it? I guess I didn't think about it. I think um, there were there were experiences that I had traveling and stuff like that, playing that were, um, I was discriminated against and stuff, but not on the team. So for me, I never looked at it as like a white sport. I also grew up in, you know, I'm not going to like candy coat this. I grew up in Princeton, New Jersey. I grew up in a massively affluent um, town. Um, although, you know, my parents worked their butts off and everything, but, um, then I was experienced so much discrimination, even in that type of an educated liberal college town, um, beyond belief, like beyond something that you could ever understand. It was from both sides. I mean, I wasn't black enough for people and I wasn't white enough for people. You know, I was, I was mixed race. And so I got called every name in the book by black kids and I had to get walked home every day after school by by my mom. So I didn't get in a fight. And, um, and then on the flip side of that, my affluent white friends, everything was great. Saskia is awesome. And her brother's awesome. As long as you don't date them. Mm. so it's it came from both sides for me so that's when I say when I played nobody cared they just cared I could play and it was the only place because I was getting it from both sides growing up and you know I never talked about that nobody's ever asked me about that stuff it was I I my my thought and my experience so I grew up and I ran track um and played soccer and Soccer, I was pretty much the only black kid um, very often, um, even growing up in California. Um, And track was very different, right? Like I was around a whole bunch of black kids um, because that was just kind of the two 
demographics, I guess you would say, um, and, and some of the differences in those sports. Um, so I definitely noticed a contrast. Um, and I think maybe that's, that's a little bit part of growing up as a minority in a country. Like so often, um, we, we hear conversations about, oh, like, I don't want to teach my kids about color. There is no color. When you are a person of color, you do not have the luxury of choosing whether to have that conversation because you wear it every day. And, um, it, it, like, it is a conversation in our household Mm -hmm. when I was three or four or five. Like, it just is. Um, and I think part of that, quite frankly, is because you have to, you have to be educated because you have to protect yourself or your children. You have to be able to have these conversations because that is the way the world sees you. Yes, I am half black and half white like Saskia, but the world sees me as black and I have to operate in that world Absolutely. because that's the way the world sees me. Um, we can go into a whole different conversation about your identity and the way that you see yourself, um, but that's the way the world sees me. And so I have to operate accordingly. Mm. No, I agree. I mean, I, I sit here and I think about things that are weird. Like, I think I was, you're protected in some realms as well. Like, now that I'm older, I know that there were tournaments we'd go on. Remember, you go on tournaments and you have a host family. So your team would stay with the family of a local team. Did you guys ever do that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. So we would do that um, back in the day. And, um, I remember getting kicked out. I remember them telling me, telling the, my coaches they had to come pick me up because now back then there was an excuse, but moving forward, I found out it was because they were racist and they didn't want a, a black kid in their house. Uh. And so here I am playing a tournament in upstate New York with my teammates. And all of a sudden me and my other teammate who was white had to get picked up because they didn't want me in the house. So I had to go somewhere else. And how old were you, Saskia, when that uh, happened? about 14, 15. Yeah. Like, and that's to me, just, it breaks my heart to hear that because I can barely process that as a 40 year old, right. An almost 40 year old. Like, how do you, how do you explain that or put that together at 14? If we're not talking about it, right. I have to make my own judgments about what that means about me Mm -hmm. and what that means about the people that are kicking me out of their house. And I don't have the experience or the words or Mm -hmm. whatever it might be to to deal with that. And so to me, I think that's part of why this conversation um, is so important. That's part of why this education and hopefully this, this movement and this revolution is longer lasting so we can feel safe to talk about these things so we can arm all people to be able to process this in a healthy way. Cause it's not mm-hmm. going to go away anytime yeah. soon. This is 400 years in the making. Like this isn't going to be <laughs> changed with a conversation or protest. It's not like we can see it wasn't changed with the election of a black president, right? Like that didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Yes. Those things are important. Yes. Policy changes and, and actual tangible um, change in law and government and the way that, um, things operate are important, but I also think the bigger conversation is, all right, how do we start to change these, these pieces of our culture that are ugly, Mm -hmm. that we have to come to terms with, Mm -hmm. um, that are more than just great. I posted something on social media, like, how do we change this? And we have Mm -hmm. to be patient with that happening. Um, but we have to keep just chipping away at it because otherwise we're going to be here and I'm going to be angrier than I was because we haven't made progress yet. That that's the thing that has struck me the most when I reflect, because I think of myself as 
progressive minded and you know kind and compassionate and yet i am discovering all these things we don't discuss right as a person of white privilege that we're not dealing with on a daily basis we think oh obama became president there's progress things are changing but really we've never as a country acknowledged slavery we've never acknowledged our racist past we've never accepted it and said we're sorry and and you know i've been listening to a lot of of brian stevenson as i was telling both of you uh, this week and the importance of understanding to your point danielle that it's not just one or two things it's 400 years of a broken system and that's the thing that i just go oh my god me and my white privileged shoes have not seen that and i'm so sad and embarrassed that it's taken this long honestly i i think you know what the the thing I got an email from one of my friends from college or a text message. And to me, this was like resonated the most with me um, of anybody who said anything. She basically um, said, uh, let me pull it up here. She said to me that um, I want you to know that I can't change what our country is about, but I'm sorry that we've never talked about it before. And the fact that it didn't even cross my mind that we should have been, you're one of my best friends. And I hadn't ever clued into this huge part of your life. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, that just felt really authentic to me. Um, And I think that there has been a whole population of people, this whole group of black people who feel like we're screaming at the top of our lungs saying, this is wrong. This is wrong. And, and nobody's listening. Um, Mm -hmm. and so like when this George Floyd thing happened, my first reaction was like, not flipping again. Here Mm -hmm. we go. Mm -hmm. And I talked to some of my other non-black friends and they're like, Oh my gosh, how could this happen? And that contrast to me is Mm -hmm. one example of, you know, that I, I kind of feel like this whole time I've been looking at the world and I haven't had the luxury of having sunglasses and it is bright and it is blinding and it is tiring. And then all of a sudden, all of these white people have had sunglasses and have gotten to take their sunglasses off and is like, Oh man, it's bright out here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's yeah. bright out here and it's not fun and it's mm-hmm. not comfortable and it's not okay help me fix this. Um, And I feel like that's the only way it's going to change is when people who are unaffected take up the call and the fight to fight for those um, who are not like them. Yeah. How do we go about doing that? I mean, unfortunately, you know, it's so upsetting because like Danielle said, not again. That was my exact same reaction to here we go. Not again. And we can name the names and go through it and stuff like that. But here, how can it be avoided? It's in your face. Now what are you going to do about it? Well, it reminds me of that quote from Maya Angelou that said, um, you do the best you can until you know better. And now that you know better, you have to do better. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's where we are, right? We can't unsee what we have seen. Um, and, And for me, I think part of what made the George Floyd video so hard, um, 
uh, amongst the many is that it was just so slow and calloused mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. um, you know, like I, I will never forget when I saw the police officer and he looked at the camera, like yeah. he, he, he looked at the camera and he knew he was being filmed and he kept going there um, like it it doesn't matter um and with all of the bystanders like there were so many chances for so many people to do the right thing in broad and daylight. It, in broad daylight and it didn't happen and so to me i think um i think it's going to take a lot of collective effort for us to start to make this change um and i think it starts with um with listening, like a lot of people are doing and, and being aware, like you've been talking about, Julie, just educating yourself. It's about us being active politically and like doing our civil due diligence and mm-hmm. voting and all of those things. Um, I think it takes talking to one another and, um, and, you know, talking to our kids and, and providing this conversation. But I also think it takes some really, really deep reflection, like, what are the, the books that I'm reading? What, mm-hmm. I mean, I, rem- I will never forget. My mom was like, I just want to find a black Santa Claus so I can hang it on my tree at Christmas. Right. And that doesn't, that didn't exist. Like we still don't have a stupid black Santa Claus on our tree. I want a black Santa Claus. <laughs> Somebody find me an ornament. You know, but it's all of, of, of those things. It's really like, it's really non-black people sacrificing things. I think that are gonna are gonna be uncomfortable. Oh, and it's not just about losing followers on Twitter, right? It's about making a choice that might affect the bottom line. It's about standing up for something and putting your job on the line because you're risking standing up for a colleague. Um, yeah. It's a lot of these things that are going to be hard that we, that we have to do. Um, and for me, it's going to be like one of the challenges that I think I have personally is I've been part of the system too, right? Like my mentality and my paradigm is shut your mouth, make sure you fit in. You've got to work harder than the next person because you're going to be judged this way. And Mm -hmm. I have to be like, you know what? No, my voice matters. I am just as important. I can say this and I can be heard. Like I have to shift the way that I, what the way that I think of things, I have to be willing to bring up tough conversations too, that I've been worried about bringing up in the past. So we mm-hmm. all have to do better. It's going to be hard on all of us. Cliff Bar and Company is the family and employee owned maker of Cliff Bars, Cliff Kit and Luna Bars. And I, for one, am currently obsessed with a caramel toffee with sea salt Cliff Bar and good news party people. They would like to extend an offer to all of you in our dope village. Yes, from now until July 28th. You can visit cliffbar.com slash laughter, C-L-I-F-B-A-R.com slash laughter to get 20% off their entire portfolio of products. Go check it out. Laughter Permitted is brought to you by Ally. A lot of our listeners know already that Lynn and I are customers of Ally, and I love that Ally has the smart savings tools I need to analyze my spending and save for the things that matter most, like more donuts or perhaps getting the kids to college one day, which would be really nice. Being able to prioritize my financial goals and save automatically makes it easier to plan for that future. Learn how Ally can help you save more at ally.com slash savings. Ally, do it right. Ally Bank, member FDIC. Did 
Danielle, you, you put out a post the other day that you said in, in your words, you, it just came pouring out of your heart one night after reflecting. And um, do you mind just reading maybe a bit of yeah. that, maybe that second paragraph, because I wanted yeah. to ask you about that with the edge. Yeah. Lynn and I were both discussing. Um, said for me in this instance, listening means departing from your center of the world and meeting me out on the edge where I've lived my whole life. When we sit and when we meet there in conversation, fight the urge to bring me back to your center. Sit with me, even while I express my anger and even if it makes you uncomfortable. Sit with me while we explore change and progress together. Sit with me and be a witness to my life and my reality. And for once, maybe for always, see me. And please, if you really believe that it's time for change, stay with me after the immediate outrage fades, when the time for listening is over, and when the hard work of making change in our policies and in our minds begins. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really know. I think sometimes um, for me, I write to gain clarity when I'm confused or hurting. Um, and to me, I, I guess I just, it, this idea of, you know, everything in our country is really centered around, quite frankly, being white, male, able-bodied, straight, um, and Christian. Um, and to the extent that you differ from that um, is the extent to which you're a little bit farther away from that center. Um, and um, our job is to, to fit around and to mold and to assimilate into that center. And I've always had to do that. And quite frankly, that's part of what's made me successful. Um, but I guess maybe I've sacrificed a little bit of myself or sacrificed showing the world a little bit of myself um, because of that. And so I just, I want people to try to understand that like, I, I could be Brianna Taylor. I very, very well could be. Don't think just because I'm on television or I played for the national team that that is not me. Or, you know, when you see George Floyd, like put Josie Altidore's face, you know, a, a famous soccer player or a fam- like put, put your neighbor's face, like put a real person's face, a black face on that body, because that is very much who that person could be. And don't mm-hmm. think that just because I'm a middle-class kid and doing well, that that isn't me, that that doesn't affect me. No, that's uh, so been me. That's come been me. see that. Yeah. And so that's to me, like my invitation of, come sit with me here. I don't know how to solve all these problems. I don't have all the answers. Um, I don't think there is any one answer because if there was, we would have figured it out by now. Um, But come sit with me and let's figure this out. And I think I say that because that's the only way that I can be hopeful. Um, I think, you know, there's times when if I'm, if I'm not careful, I do go to a place where it's like, this is too little, too late. This is never going to change. We're going to go through these protests. And in a month's time, when the world opens up and everybody has jobs and sports are back on television, we're going to forget all about this. And then I'm going to be even angrier than I was before. Mm -hmm. And I can't let myself go there. One, because it's not healthy for me. And two, I don't want to see the world that way. Um, And so I think um, that's what I mean um, by coming to my center and, and that's what gives me some hope. Mm. I couldn't agree more, more with everything. I think that I wanted to 
go back to what you, were, you touched on about not saying anything, not, not like standing up. Like I, I talked to you, Julia, a little bit about like experiences while traveling with the team and everything. And yeah. Can you share those real quick sauce too? I mean, because I do think again, it's perspective. We just don't have. I mean, it's one of the, t- one I, t- I just told, I told one of the stories that, sorry about my dogs. I told one of the stories about, um, we were in Paris and my experience in Paris, my first time in Paris is totally different than your experience in Paris. You guys were eating crepes and you're running around the top of the Louvre and taking pictures. And I was walking around with, um, Thori Staple and Brian Scurry and, you know, we were in our national team horrible sweats they were at that time but um we wandered into YSL to Yves Saint Laurent and it was a scene on a pretty woman and it was literally like people left the shop the the came up and they were like can we help you what can we do for you like if you're not gonna buy anything we need you to leave like it was so hard and so blatant and I'm just having a good time my first time in Paris, you know, walking around with some friends. And, you know, but I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to tell you guys that. My entire mentality is like, I'm not going to make myself separate from this team I'm trying to make, setting myself up as like, well, you know, this issue happened with Saskia, it was racism, and take total focus off of me playing as a goalkeeper, me playing for the national team. And that's my fault. Part of that's my fault. And that's part of what Danielle is talking about is these experiences happen, but we don't say anything because of our task at hand in a sense. Mm-hmm. Do I want to make waves? Do I want to make people feel uncomfortable? I mean, I just want to play soccer. And so, and that mentality shouldn't be there. I should be able to turn around and tell you guys what right. happened. But it's not because I didn't think you would understand. It's more because I didn't want to be different. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be different. I wanted to be, I wanted to be part of everything. And um, I agree with you 100%. I sit here and I go, like, are these, what happens when the, the protests stop? Yeah. What happens? Yeah. Are we are we going to keep on this road, or is everything just gonna? Is it gonna? Is it gonna be ten months from now, and I'm just gonna go here we go again, you know, and nothing's changed. Do you think this time could be different? Are you hopeful in that regard? This feels different to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what that means exactly, but I mean, I I look at the faces in the crowd and. The faces are more diverse than I've ever mm-hmm. seen before. Um, and you are seeing men and women and all different colors and ages. Um, and that, that feels different. Um, and, you know, I think if, to be honest, I mean, part of it is just the, the, how vivid and horrible that, that footage was of George Floyd. But part of it too is right. We're in times of coronavirus and, people want to get out and get in the streets and they have something to say. And, you know, we, a lot of people are without jobs right now. And so it kind of came as this perfect storm. And so I don't think we can look at this context and these protests without keeping in mind the, the coronavirus pandemic that we're in. Um, In addition to like the political climate we're in, I think it's all kind of this, for lack of a better word, perfect storm um, that has 
that has caused this to be what it has be. And that all feels different. I just hope that at the core um, is, is really this, this desire for change. And what, what worries me and what you look at when you look at history, you look at, um, like forward and backward progress, right? Like, so we move forward and we feel like we're making change and then there's a reaction to that. Um, I mean, I, a, a very simple explanation is, you know, okay, you see the election of Barack Obama and then you see the election of Donald Trump, right? Like Donald Trump feels like a little bit of a reaction to the election of mm-hmm. Barack Obama. Um, and th- there's examples of all of this in history, right? Like you have, if you go back to the 1800s, you have the civil rights um, emancipation. And then you have a reaction to that, right? In Jim Crow laws and things like that. So there's forward progress, there's backward progress. To me, like what I want to tell people is like, okay, let's be prepared for when, right. for when the, the, the backlash is going to happen, right? Like I, what I worry about, and this is a very short-term example, but I worry, okay, we're going to have these protests. And then you know what? because the country has opened up and because we're doing more and more things in addition to these protests, um, it's going to somehow get spun that all of these black lives matters caused all these extra people to die in coronavirus. And maybe, mm-hmm. maybe that contributes to it. I, I don't know. I don't know enough of the science, but I also think like a lot of our economy has opened up too, and that's probably contributing to right. it as well. So to me, I am just like, be cognizant. We have to be aware that mm-hmm. there is, forward progress and there's going to be reactions to that. And we have to be prepared for those hard times um, and to keep standing up and to keep fighting for it. But this does feel different, Jules. It does. I agree with that hundred percent. I think it feels different because here we're having this conversation right now, Jules. Yeah. How long, we, how long we freaking play together? How long yeah. have we played together? So, and so we have never overdue. ever had this conversation. Yeah. So if you're asking me, it feels different at Michelle Akers call me to have a conversation, mm-hmm. you know, Kate Markrath called me, like, you know, um, Tish, reach, Tish Venturini reached out, like, all of a sudden, pe- like, people that we've never had these conversations, and we've known each other for 35 years, and we've played together, and you're my family, are all of a sudden having these conversations, so that is why I do feel it is difficult with Daniel. I was going to say, so you keep... <laughs> You've listed like 17 people that have called you. Um, and so I've had this experience too, right? Like a lot of my non-black friends are calling me. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I, I'm appreciative, right? Full stop. I am very, very appreciative. Um, but there's also like, just sh- show me. Like I, I there's yeah. a part of it that's like, mm-hmm. okay, great. Like I, I appreciate the call and I don't want to minimize that at all. But I also want to say, look, like, let's let's do something about it and to like you don't you don't need to save me like I'm okay I appreciate the call but there's no need to like save me from this um I agree with you on that I actually called my father my parents marched with Martin Luther King and everything and and so to call my mother and my father my mother was in tears it's the first time I've ever had a conversation like this with my mother and her being crying like, you know, she's taken me through our history as an interracial family and crosses burned on our front lawn and everything like that. But this is the first time I think, like, I've heard her really get upset and cry about it. And I asked my dad, I was like, why? What, how am I, how, how do I navigate this? All, all my friends are calling me, asking me, and it was more, I love you guys, but it was more, are you calling me to soothe your soul, to soothe your, your own questions about yourself, yeah. to soothe hey, was I a racist? Did I treat you wrong? I'm like, if, if you had, number one, you wouldn't be my friend. <laughs> I would have told you, but, but 
But I felt like the good majority of the calls were around that. And my dad said the same thing after I had a conversation with you, Julie, was this, that's not your job. Your job isn't to kind of soothe right. somebody else's guilt or question. It's to, to have the conversation with them, educate and see how you guys can move forward and whether they have kids or, you know, whether it's work or whatever, and see how you can spread that. It's not to make them feel better about questions they have about their past. It's a very strange place to be in and to navigate. I've never been in that position before. Hey, you know, hey, Sas, you know, was I a racist teammate or was I a racist friend? I, I, I guess my experience a little bit too, and, and um, I was talking to a friend about this and, I feel like a lot of the space um, that's getting questioned is not, was I necessarily overtly racist, but how was I anti-racist? And I think that a lot of the people that I live in the world with are not racist, right? A lot of the fr- my friends, nobody, n- nobody that I know of is racist. Mm-hmm. But I also think that if they're having these questions, then they weren't necessarily affirmatively anti-racist or yeah, doing right. things exactly. to say, this is wrong and I'm going to do something to change it. And yeah. I think that's a little bit, a little bit of a shift that has been a pleasant surprise to see is, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I wasn't actively fighting against black people, right. but I also was doing nothing to actively fight for them. And now I'm going to take yeah. up this mantle more than I have in the past. Yeah. I was, I was listening to um, NPR's Code Switch podcast, and there was a writer and reporter on there, Jamil Smith, um, who's a senior writer with Rolling Stone, and he he said a quote on there that that um, got to the heart of it. I think he said, "None of this changes until the people not affected by it are willing to make change." And I was like, "That's right." That's so right. That's everything that's how we've just been talking about. That's how it's been in history, right? I mean, you look at that for like women's issues, you know, this is something that we've talked about more on the national team, as you mentioned, than maybe racial uh, injustice. But, you know, men gave women the right to vote. It, it wasn't women who were sitting in Congress and voting on that, mm-hmm. right? It was women who were screaming at the top of their lungs and got enough attention um, that law and policy changed. So, um, I think that it can be this way with this topic too. Mm. I too am going to remain hopeful and most importantly, actionable in speaking up and standing up for the black community. And I, uh, I just want to thank you guys for taking the time and talking about it and, I look forward to having many more conversations about this, my friends. I'm sorry it took 20 freaking years. We'll get through it together. So appreciate Danielle and Saskia taking the time to talk with us. And something I want to encourage everyone to do, go read Danielle's full Twitter posts, which we talked about in the podcast. I highly recommend it. Her Twitter handle is at Danielle V. Slayton. I'll spell it for you. D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E-V, as in Veronica Slayton, S-L-A-T-O-N. And even better, follow her and read her wisdom. Thank you to our dope village for listening. 
And as always, for sharing our podcast, we remain ever hopeful, even during these incredibly trying times, that the pain will lead to growth. A huge thank you to Ally Bank and Cliff Bar and Company for their support of Laughter Permitted. And of course, to Kate Diaz for our theme music. Remember our wonderful dope village. Pass on kindness and compassion. Please spread that around wherever you go. We love you. We'll get through it together.